HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by 818 Tequila, delicious and smooth tequila, meaning harmony with the earth. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York. 40% alcohol by volume, drink responsibly. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. We would like to take a moment to dedicate this episode to all of the victims of gun violence over the last few weeks. It's been hard for us to wrap our minds around it from Uvalde to Buffalo to Orange County and even more. It's absolutely devastating. Um, There are a lot of resources out there. Call your senators, call your congressmen, make some noise. And if you need to take a break, remember, you can always turn off social media and just take some time for yourself. We are excited to welcome Kaoru Mitsui of Sichi Me Magazine to Snacky Tunes. We chatted with her while she was in New York via Japan about her work as a food coordinator in Japan, starting career as a caterer. And then falling into a very specialized, very beautiful cross-intersection of food and photography and writing. She has a new magazine out, Chi Me magazine, that's limited edition. Find it where you can, and I guarantee you, you'll be happy that you have it on your shelves at home. And then we dig into the archives and have a fun, really energetic performance from Moon Hooch, one of our more uplifting performances, which we thought would be something that everyone could enjoy today. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Snacky Tunes. 
Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to sit down and chat with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be on your show. Uh, you have done an absolute beautiful job of mixing food and art and using ingredients as materials like paint uh, or, or sculpture through these, these pieces of food in your work. How do you seamlessly blend these two worlds? Where do you see them overlap? Um, I think it is uh, the way I look at the ingredients and the food. I've always um, loved cooking, of course, but I've seen a lot of different characters while I um, look at the ingredients or when I cook. And during the process of it is the most of the time I realize um, very interesting details or unique characters in the ingredients themselves. So I think I'm very much ex- inspired by those um, realizations I get. Yeah. It's, um, it's very inspiring and it's a lot of fun, but it's also not just fun because I really feel that you have an understanding of food um, and the ingredients you're working with. And I know that at the start of career, uh, you were a caterer. How did you get involved with that type of work? What drew you into the world of cooking? So I was first working as a office lady. Well, we call that in Japan, um, where you work for a corporate company. And um, that was uh, not my desired job, but I ended up there. And 
I suddenly got this very serious sickness,、um, which I had to be treated for about half a year in the hospital. Yes,、um, thank you. I wasn't able to get out of the hospital at all, so、um, it was a very heavy treatment. And when the、uh, food there in the hospital was very, you know,、um, disappointing, kind of,、um, you know, gets you feel more worse in your in.、Um, Mentally, you know, and the thing that well, I'm I live in Japan and I'm a Japanese, but um, so the hospital was in Japan, and the thing that kept me、um, energized was these were these um pictures, photographs that I took at the Union Square Farmers Market um years before that, and I always put those pictures beside the wall and would look at them and get very energized, and so after. I was out of the hospital. The treatment was over.、Um, I started cooking at home because that was the only thing I could do.、Um, I wasn't able to get, get around, go around outside that much. So I started cooking, and then I started posting those photographs on Facebook. Back then,、um, it was cooking for all my friends that came to visit me, and it was pretty unique photographs.、Um, even when I look at look back at it right now. And this editor of my brother's friend,、um, she kind of knew me,、um, not directly that much. But then she one day found those photographs on Facebook and just told me to come work with her on this food styling job. <laughs> so that was the very beginning. And then when I started that, I don't know why, but a lot of other people around surrounding the food industry. Contacted me through Facebook, and they were, you know, um, design um, apparel companies that wanted me to cater for them because I had this、uh, a bit of unique world that I put on Facebook. So,、um, using food, so that's how everything started at once. Like, yeah, and I took every job I can and kind of lied that I can do everything. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Get your foot in the door. Yeah, because I had no connection to the food world. I only loved eating and cooking for myself. So,、um, you know, it was like take job every job I can, <laughs> just pretend until you look very professional. Or, yeah. But you know, you seem to have some sort of knack for it because you eventually became、mm-hmm. a private chef, and yes, it's one thing to work as a caterer and just、mm-hmm. to put out a bunch of food and.、Mm-hmm. I don't want to see me faceless, but you know, you're you're not really having that directive relationship with your client. Yes, when you're a private chef. It's、mm-hmm. sometimes you and a family, or you and a few other people. Yeah. How did you build your skills, and eventually, how did you get into the world of private chefing? So, as I started my career that way and、um, proceeded to do all the jobs,、um, you know, there were a variety of jobs I was doing: food styling, sometimes food directing.、Um, Then catering and also recipe developing and all this stuff for TV sometimes commercials and then I realized one day when I was catering for a hundred people by myself because I didn't have a, an assistant and I was still cooking at my parents' house and then、um, I had another kitchen that was approved of course but、um, then I realized 
it was too much for me and I wasn't appreciated that much. I just delivered food and then everyone on set is always very tired and they just come to feed their appetite. And um, I didn't feel, as you said, that much connection to them. And But I put all my heart and soul into that food. So I thought, oh, these um, making commercials or uh, one very um, interesting visual like photo shoot is more a comp uh, um, I don't know what the word but more fulfilling for me um, and it feels very good to work with um, creators that I um, admire and go we are kind of going towards the same direction and trying to create one thing that's amazing and I really love that so um, I kind of shifted that way and I'm kind of making this story long but um so I stopped catering at that point but by then I had few clients that really loved my um flavor or the taste of my food and so they still wanted me to cook for them so I said um if I feel like I'm directly connected with them and I can see their faces at while they eat in us in some way or um, get a feedback directly from them at when I cook, um, that would be amazing. So um, this celebrity, she, um, they're a celebrity couple in Japan. Um, they just asked me to cook at their home at this um, at their birthday party one time, and that was already six years ago or something. And since then, they've always want, um, called me to cook for their Christmas party every year. Um, since Corona, they you know, they had to stop because, of course. So, um, but yeah, last, uh, October for Halloween, um, it was, uh, I went catering after a while. Yeah. After Corona. Yeah. That was the first time I went to their place again to cook. Sometimes all you need is that one client and that one dinner and it changes (laughs) your life forever. Yeah. I, I feel very grateful for, you know, they're very good people and um, I feel feel very happy when I cook for them and they have a lot of um, people come to eat my food and she would always explain that it's made my me and you know she really appreciates the food so I feel very happy during this time were you still doing photography on the side mm-hmm. uh, were you keeping up with with your other passion yes Um. At what point did you start to see the merging of the world? Because now it's easy to see and know that you've been printed and it's in magazines and you're like, oh, this makes total sense. Mm-hmm. But it's another thing, with, especially with your series Food on a Photograph. Yes. How did that idea come to be and, and, and what was that moment of inspiration like? Mm. Um, it's, I feel like it has always been the same for me, um, especially in Japan. Food styling is, um, I would say, it would it is not a singular job. It is we call it food coordinator, and it includes everything from recipe de- developing to styling to prop styling to everything. And um, since it's a, a lot, variety of jobs, it seemed to look like every cookbook or every food photography. Um, to me, it looked very similar in a way because one person does everything. And um, 
most of the time, clients want the same thing, um, delicious-looking food, and people go to towards that direction. But um, since I didn't have any mentors in Japan, um, I always felt like I wanted to do something very different from what everyone was doing, and I was always struggling to find what that was. And back then, when I first came up with the idea of food on a photograph was exactly the time. It was almost three years um, when I food started food styling. And one day I had this uh, avocado toast in my hand and I wanted to take a photograph of it, but I didn't feel like I wanted to just take a photo of it. And then I thought, I love Audrey Hepburn. I have her, um, her... Uh, photo book and why not you know express her beauty with food and I don't know it was kind of crazy idea but I just started putting food directly on that photo book that was um, that I destroyed I think by doing that <laughs> because it got wrinkled and it got soaked and everything. But um, I, I didn't even have the idea to print it out back then. I just really directly put it on the book, but right. I thought it was very fun, fun. And um, it was in a way to kind of release all my stress with uh, the work that I was doing. Like I wanted to be more creative kind of feeling. Yeah. That was the beginning of it. Yeah. Mm. Uh, well, let's take a quick musical break because I want to mm-hmm. get into the release of your zine and how you brought all of your skills together mm-hmm. and eventually the, um, the, the, the birth and the creation of Shimi Magazine. Thank um, you. We have a song from the archives and then uh, we'll be right back mm-hmm. here on Snacky Tunes on hrn.org.
Hello and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are chatting with food director Karo Mitsui, and we were talking about the the birth of your food on a photograph project. And it's one thing to be in your home and to be putting avocados and 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 bell peppers on on books and creating this new type of art. It's a whole other thing to take that and share it out with the world and get a positive response. How did you make that jump? How did you take it out of your apartment and start showing it to people? <laughs> yes. So I, it was only like a passion project for me. Um, but then it kind of got realized on Instagram, um, especially when it got to Victoria Granoff, which is, uh, in my mind, my mentor in the States. She's a renowned food stylist. And she re- reposted one of my posts on Instagram from Food on a Photograph. And I was so surprised that she did it. And at the same time, I felt pretty confident that this is something very unique. And um, then I kind of got the, you know, the confidence to make it into a zine. And why not just bring it to New York where, you know, the food scene is very interesting all the time. And so I, I think I really um, immediately put it together into a zine. And uh, I was going to kind of give it out for free to every, everyone in New York. Sure, sure. But then um, this uh, bookstore, Kitchen Art and Letters, Legendary. Um, I brought it to them. So when I brought it to them, Nock, uh, the owner back then, he passed away uh, recently. But um, he told me, this is such a unique book that you've made and that you should sell it because something for free isn't actually um, going to be respected that much. But this work is very res- res- should be respected. So that was another shocking thing for me to um, have a feedback like that. And yeah, that's... Um, that brought me to so many other projects because it sold out. Yeah, it was a big success. Out. It was a huge success that um, this magazine in Japan, Anna Magazine, they wanted to have a whole feature uh, of new works of mine um, with uh, collaboration with the model called Pojo in New York. Um, so Anna Magazine gave us. Uh, about 10, 12, 12 pages for us to do the whole feature of food on a magazine. Um, Pojo is a model that base, is based in New York, and she has a content called Models That Eat. And she found one of my zines in McNally Jackson, and she contacted me and said she, we should do something together. And so I came back to New York and shot um, eight with all her model friends, and she shot with her film photographer, uh, film camera, and she sent all those pictures to me in Japan. And I put, I printed out, printed them out, and put food on them. And we had a pretty big exhibit back in Japan. Yeah. So much of what you've been talking about mm-hmm. has a physical nature to it. Yeah. Um, printing things out, mm-hmm. zine, ingredients. Mm-hmm. When so much of the world has shifted to digital, what keeps drawing you back to this physical touch? Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's very important to have physical connection to things, um, especially in this day and age. 
um, because as you said, everything is digital and goes away so quickly that uh, I really uh, think it is important to realize what you own and um, physically own or you cherish or you um, treasure is because what you own is what you are and also having a physical connection to people and things makes you very rich you know um, life wise um, as a person so when I make things I feel like it should be something that people would want to hold on to and not just, you know, look at it and put it somewhere or um, throw it away or, you know, you might sell it after, right after you bought it. Um, because I feel bad when I do that and I, I don't like to do that. And whatever I buy or I own, I really want to um, keep it for a long time. Yeah. Yes. So you have the zine, you have this really successful show in Japan. When did you start thinking about what your next big project would be and Mm -hmm. how much of it, you know, you talk about this real role of the food coordinator, Mm -hmm. but it seems like that role of writing and photography and shopping and art directing and everything coming together Mm-hmm. was leading you to what would eventually be uh, Shichimi magazine. Mm-hmm. When did you start thinking that you wanted to put out your own much larger magazine instead of another zine, despite mm-hmm. its success? Yes. Um, it was very, so for me, I've always wanted to have uh, my own cookbook published, but um this idea I always had was that it, I wanted it to be something um, in a mix of cookbook and an art book and maybe have fashion essence to it as like the food on a photograph. Um, all these genres mixed together because I don't see it, um, those kind of magazines in Japan. And so I always was waiting for the right timing to um, make this kind of book. But, and there was a timing where I had the uh, uh, opportunity to pitch for this book company in Japan, but the vision that I had was too unique for them that, you know, it is pretty risky to you know publish this kind of book. So, um, but I wanted it to be in the best quality as possible. So I thought, okay, I should just do it my, by myself. And of course, not only me, but by the help of all these artists. But, um, oh, sorry, what was the question? <laughs> oh, no, just I, I think it's just the journey here, just to say you carved your own path and yes. you didn't see anything and you didn't oh, have yes. a, a, a yes. mentor or, or anyone saying, like, you can and can't do this. And you've created this yeah. beautiful original type of magazine, mm-hmm. which had you taken a more traditional path. Um, yeah, you probably wouldn't have wound up with. Yes, and also it was very important for me. Even though this book, Shichimi Magazine, a publication, it looks like a book, but I call it a magazine because uh, of several reasons. But 
mainly it was because I wanted it to be something um, to connect to with people. Um, a book is very good, but it's also like one project is done, then it's kind of over. But um, for me, this magazine, I will want this time. It's all created by Japanese artists, um, art directors, photographers, costume designers. Um, all these very creative um, and upcoming and already successful photographers and everybody. Um, but I, next time I might be working with people in a different country, um, that kind of ongoing project that people would be connected with and kind of create like a, a nice platform um, is what I wanted to do. So um, by doing only one book wasn't I, I felt like that wouldn't be able to make that kind of um, platform so yes I love the idea of doing a book and calling it a magazine and saying <laughs> yes. more to come that it's a series yes um, and, and you've also <laughs> shown your your love of texture mm -hmm. and your love of a physical touch in the actual production of it Yes. Um, with the book, it, it's it's something beautiful to hold in your hands. Yes. So this magazine is um, all separated. Each paper is a separate print. And so in a way, you can customize all the pages in your desired way. Like if you want the recipe part to go on, come on front or you want to put it in the kitchen, you can pull out those papers and put it in your kitchen or you can take out the beautiful photography and frame it and put it on your wall and enjoy it. The thing is that um, you can have a physical interaction interaction with the book, and also it is a uh, it is able to um, for you to upcycle it in a way. Um, not only get, having it as a book in your shelf, but you can always take out and look at one page, and sometimes maybe you want to just pin it on the wall and stare at that ingredient photograph or, um, and I think, yeah. And one page has, um, uh, my sew sewing work on it. Um, yeah, every, this is a limited edition of 500 and each copy we sewed. So oh <laughs> you'll, you'll definitely feel the physical connection there too. Oh, yeah. uh, it's, that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> Now, um, speaking of ingredients, I had uh, was reading some of your articles and read that you have a huge love for corn. Yeah. <laughs> which, you know, this time of year in America, corn is where it's at. I, if I see corn or a tomato on a dish during this time of year, I'm ordering it. Um, what are you looking forward to this summer with corn? Do you have any plans with it just to eat it, work with it? Maybe it's inspiration for your next project? Yeah. Corn, so yeah, so the the recipe that I put on this book was inspired by a uh, sweet in Japan, sweet dish called zenzai. And zenzai um, has a, the base of it is a sweet bean, red bean paste. That's um, kind of, uh, what's it called, like? turn into a soup with water mm. and it's cold and it has a tiny mochi in it. Mm. So I thought the sweetness of that red bean paste is kind of similar to the very sweet corn in Japan. Mm. We have very, very extremely sweet corn right now because people are making new types of 
um, corn. Sure. And um, so the sweet corns, maybe I I want to use it raw this time because mm. in Japan it's not that um, common to use corn um, raw. So people always cook them, boil boil them moistly. But this time I would maybe make a Japanese version of that um, Mexican corn salad. Also, oh yes, like an elote salad. Yeah, use some um, Japanese herbs like shiso and yeah. Mioga is one of my also favorite herbs during the summer. So yeah, I love it. Well, Kara, thank you so much for making the time to chat with us. Congratulations mm-hmm. on the release of Sichi uh, Me magazine. Mm-hmm. If people want to pick up one of the very few copies that are available, mm-hmm. where can they go? Where can they order? Where can they get their hands on it? So the main uh, place that you can get is Kitchen Art and Letters. And they just announced yesterday that it is going to go on sale um uh, starts selling on their website and it sold out immediately so now they have a back order and you can order there or you can have um mcnally jackson in Mm -hmm. soho will have it yeah um, in london yes of course um in london mag culture will have it yes incredible well i will definitely take you up on a copy because i I missed the pre-sale yesterday, so uh, uh, I appreciate it. But listen, congratulations. Thank you for creating something so beautiful and for taking time to share some of the stories behind it. We have a song from the archives and a live performance here on Snacky Tunes on heritageradionetwork.org. I had a stone to throw at something real, a treasure of my own so I could feel. I dropped an anchor in the sand and watched it drag on through the sea. The shackles are off my hands, but I Such a lovely shade of blue Help me down, don't pick me up Give me something that I can touch Just a way here I've loved you all along The summer came in fast but it hasn't learned to last It came to town just to turn you brown Then it passed And now I'm freezing in my car As I'm driving under the stars I've been thinking of you Like I tend to do with the dog I guess I never learned to choose Help me down, don't pick me up Give me 
can touch just a way here I've loved you all along help me down don't pick me up in my hands a bit of love just a way here I'll love you while you're gone Chava Peribán, co-host of Agave Road Trip on HRN, here to talk about 818 Tequila. 818 creates their tequila using traditional methods that a family-owned and operate distillery in Jalisco, Mexico. From the blue agave they grow to their recycled glass bottle, 818 emphasizes the Earth's importance in all they do. Their distillery runs on biomass and solar power, which means they don't rely as much on fossil fuels and are able to reduce their carbon footprint. Their labels, corks, and boxes are all certified by the Forest Stewardship Council as coming from sustainability-managed forests. 818 is a proud member of 1% for the Planet, through which they support HRN as well as Sacred, my organization in Jalisco, where together we transform agave byproducts and water waste into adobe bricks that are donated to local infrastructure projects, like a local library in Zapotitlan de Vadillo. Visit drink818.com to learn more about their sustainability efforts and find 818 near you. 818 has been part of so many magical nights for me, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. 818 Tequila, imported by 818 Spirits, Manhasset, New York. 40% alcohol by volume, drink responsibly. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old-world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com.
Welcome, Moon Hooch. Yeah. Hey. Um, are you guys can move a little bit closer to the to the cool. mic. I have to say that you are my favorite buskers, and thank you. Uh, Hold on, let, let's step back. So we I can't, I can't start with compliments. Well, no, you can start with compliments. But uh, Darren and I were, you know, I, we we live off the L train, and I transfer at Fourteenth Square, and like I saw you guys play, and I was like, man, like I see a lot of buskers, but like. What are these guys doing down here? Like, this doesn't make any sense. They're a little bit too, you know, they're not playing a pan flute. And, like, I really felt that you guys should be, like, above ground. And then we started talking. I was like, dude, I saw this, I saw this band. He's like, was it Moon Hooch? I was like, yeah, it was totally those guys. <laughs> um, so eventually we were like, we got to just get these guys on the show. And then I saw you play, like, a few weeks ago on a Friday night. I was coming back from dinner. And it was a literal just dance party in, at 14th Square. Um, people were just skipping their trains just to... Uh, just to dance. First yeah. off, how often does that happen? Every weekend, if we if we play yeah. there, but we don't play every weekend, so right. it's kind of irregular. Yeah, recently we've been playing at Union, uh, actually Washington Square Park, under the arch. Who mm. who do I have to go beat up if they like move you away from my train stop? Well, re- it, actually, it did happen already. The police has been cracking down all the buskers at at 14th Street Union Square. Yeah, they're like. They're trying to stop. Yeah. All so you, lately, every time we played there, we were stopped by the so, police. So let's step back. How do you become a, a busker in New York? And like, is it official? Is it a schedule? Uh, well, the way we do it is very unofficial. We just sit up wherever and play. It's totally illegal. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is there is like a program called Music Under New York, and that gives you like a permit to play. But you can't play on the subways, on the platforms, you can only play in the mezzanines. Okay. But the problem with this is the judges of the program are musicians themselves, subway musicians themselves, so they give themselves the permits. Uh, and we applied for it, we didn't get one. We didn't get a permit, so... <laughs> is, there, is there a code of, like, is there a code? Because I feel that I saw you guys play there on, like, somewhat regular, ba- like, basis. Like, is there a code, like... Hey man, we were here first, or it's like, oh, like yeah, other buskers, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's first come, first serve, really. Well, and, it, uh, yeah, it was really hard for us to like get accepted by the other buskers because yeah. some of them do this for like ten years, right? And like, I mean, there was definitely a couple of occasions where we almost got in fist fights. Yeah. Really, but, well, James, I mean, James. Well, <laughs> well, we'll leave that story for uh, for off air. But uh, so, but so, what is the? I mean, what is the history of you guys? Like, how did you form, and how did you decide to to go underground? Like, literally, well, we were all we all went to the new school, okay, uh, for music together. And um, James and I were friends, but once and I kind of knew each other. Wait, take it around the room because we didn't make an. Oh yeah, sense. James is the. <laughs> Hello. He's the distant voice in the back. Just the drummer. <laughs> I don't have a microphone. Oh, no, it sounds good. It sounds Sorry. good. Yeah. Yeah, it's good? Yeah, it's good. It's picking up. Yeah. Right. So and, uh, James. I'm Mike. Okay. Saxophone. I'm Wenzel. Yeah. Other saxophone. Other saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, we went to school together. And James and I were playing, uh, you know, separately. And Wenzel was playing with James. And we were both kind of going down to the subway, but on, like, in separate groups, you know, just separate duos. And then one day we met in um, Washington Square and James and Wenzel were playing under the arch and I was with another drummer um, named Max and we decided to play together and a, and a huge crowd formed around us and we were playing um, like house kind of like house housey dance music because Wenzel has been producing it and um, you know he said like oh, I'll play in this key something like that and came up with a melody over it and you know, we got a really good crowd reaction so we decided to keep going with it. 
Yeah, I started just riding in the subway, on the subway rides to the platform, just little melodies and, and bass lines, just like I would do when I produce like an electronic song, like that kind of style, and showed it to Mike, and we just quickly learned it by heart and started playing. In the beginning, we only had like one or two songs, and like we just all looping, night we were just, we're just yeah. looping the same song. <laughs> it kept it kept drunk people dancing. Though. Yeah, but I mean, if it's a subway platform, like you really probably like need like what maybe like twenty two minutes if it's late at night because the trains right. Yeah, even right. less. I mean, twenty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm being generous. Yeah, yeah. Like, but but yeah, now we have like a full like I don't know two hour set. With, like I mean, you have a full record. Twenty. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. we actually we, have another one ready, but we. We're gonna work on it some more before we go and go to the studio. Uh, and before we get into a song, um, where did the name come from? Mike just blurted out one day. We were playing. We had no name. We weren't even considering ourselves a band. We were just all making money in the subway. And somebody asked us, "Hey, what's our name?" And Mike just was in a goofy mood and said, "Moon Juice." And we said, oh, that "Actually, that sounds like a cool name." And then we looked it up, and there were eight bands called Moon Juice. Of course. <laughs> and <laughs> then, Obviously. Then we went through the thesaurus, and we found a replacement for Juice. I mean, it, it is... And then Hooch, and then it made sense. Like, oh, it's like yeah. Moonshine. Or yeah. yeah. No, it's good. Let's get into a song. Yeah. All right. Do a song. Let's which, uh, one. which one are you guys going to play first? Number um, seven, this one's called. Or Take the L Train. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Nice. I get the reference. Uh, <laughs> live, uh, live on Snacky Tunes, Moon Hooch. It's, uh, it's about to get loud.
Wow. I think that is the loudest that it's been in here. Uh, no. No? Maculates. Oh, Maculates. Yeah, I guess they had, they had amps. All right, second, second loudest. So uh, dancey. Yeah, so dancey. I mean, so how much of does your electronic house music background come to influence uh, in writing your songs now? Um, well, a, yeah, fair amount, actually. We all started listening to electronic music. Uh, probably, I mean, I started listening to electronic music probably about two years ago. Wesley's been doing it for like maybe five years. Mike, about the same Have you? Years. Five years? What? Listening or producing? Listening. I've been listening to. I got really into electronic music when I started producing it. Like that's, I think, when I got. When was that? I don't, I don't know. When was it? Like on the cruise ship. or seven. Uh, it was eight or nine. Uh, cruise ship. Cruise ship. Yeah, I was working on a cruise ship, and I. That's like two thousand. Nine. Nine, yeah. What, what you're just gonna drop that in there like it's a comment. What were you doing on a cruise ship? <laughs> well, I, was, I was actually working there as a saxophone player and flautist and clarinetist. Oh, okay. But, but my passion was not really the music we played there. It was just more like work, and I got to know the DJ of the okay. cruise ship, and we just like started producing together. Amazing. So how did you? So how did you go from busking to gigs, or were you also pursuing gigs like in clubs along the same time? I think it's just that people see us on the train and, and literally drop their card or take our card or, you know, get in touch with us. Uh, and now we have a manager, so things are th- much Hey, easier. by the way, thank you, Rich. He got back to me immediately. Sign yeah, Richard's the man. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, awesome. he's nailing it. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's much easier now. Yeah. I, I can imagine. So, um, what was your first gig um, outside of busking together? As first movie? ever? I remember it. You know where it was? I, I, I was on the, on the rooftop of... What's the name? The red-haired girl. Oh, that's right. Uh, Randall Wendell. Oh, yeah. Randall yeah. Wendell, yeah. Holy shit. Was yeah. that the first that's ever? That was our first gig. I remember In Williamsburg, exactly, that's right. Yeah. Because we, yeah, we never played a gig before, and we were like really worried. We're going to run out of songs and whatnot, and people are not going to like it. I, I you remember can't do exactly. the like, repeat trick. Like you do in right. subway. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. <laughs> but, but it was really cool. Actually, people started dancing so hard, the roof almost collapsed. Yeah, but that, that was not because people danced it was the roof was shitty yeah okay but, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was it was definitely quite an experience and then so and you guys formed when exactly summer of 2010 okay oh so not that not that long ago no we're, we're newborns yeah. that's amazing so, in two years yeah. so like just to go back to the subway because it's, it's such an interesting thing we don't get to talk to too many buskers like what was it like that you had to do to get accepted by the other buskers um, or, and like what were some um, of the, the, well, the trappings you know, they, they used to come at us, like, we play, and, like, a, a bucket drummer came, sat up next to us, and started playing a different tempo. And yeah, they, they were, wow. like, real and, rude about it. Like, super, super aggressive. Yeah, super wow. sandbag. So really aggressive. No, it's not passive aggressive. No, it's And then, like, we said something like, what, what do you want to play together? Or, like, do you want to... Just wouldn't respond. I'm doing this for ten years. T- ten years. Do you see the marks here? That's because I've made them. I've been here for ten years. Oh, the marks as the yeah, people want. and, you know... Yeah, it got really heated, the situation, and we so left. We ended up just and, and, and like, whatever, man, you can have you know, just, the, We're not going to fight you situation over, over and over again, and then the, the other buskers actually listen to you, and then they actually, you know, we start liking each other, and, right. and, and now I feel like like the other buskers are our friends, and we like we say, hey, I'm going to come back in one hour, are you going to be still playing? Oh, yeah, you know, we, it's more... Yeah, we kind of just schedule it, you know, yeah, whoever's there first, like, and then we're like, yeah, yeah, so we'll be here until 10, you know, you can have it then. Huh. And, uh, but so like all the people on like Bedford and everything like that's also illegal yeah. as well. Yeah. Everything, yeah, everything is everything legal. Yeah. Well, what about those people in uh, 
with the signs. Well, you said that's part of the alliance, right? Wait, 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 on the, the mezzanine, in the mezzanine with the music on the New York yeah, signs. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's legal. So what are the cops? Do they come and they're like, you guys can't be here? Or it, depends. It, it depends on the cop. Sometimes the cops like our music and they just let us keep going. But yeah. sometimes they like they'll yell at us. And be like, this isn't a club. That's so. Cr- I mean, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess. Oh, really? So. The thing, well, the thing is that it's not like a strict law. It's kind of like ambiguous. Area. Ambiguous, yeah. yeah, because we don't have amplification. Right. That's the one thing that we know. It's like no electricity. Right. But you guys are loud as shit. Yeah, we're so, loud. <laughs> like yeah. the guy with the pan flute is definitely not gonna right. start it. Got amplification. Uh, actually, does, yeah. if yeah, you does. look at the the plan, the one guy we saw his his pan flute still attached to a microphone that he stand that he used to play off of, yeah. Yeah. which is kind of sad because it's like a yes year thing, and you're not really gonna hear the theme to Titanic the same way without the backing tracks. So yeah. you guys are loud, so I can see how like they would be like, well. That's kind of yeah, not, totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, cops walk we by, and so I can't even hear myself thinking stuff. You know? Right. Yeah. I mean, totally makes sense. Just so, do you see, uh, you know, as things progress, you know, leaving the subway and just playing more and more shows, and like, was yeah. this a stepping stone? Totally. Or I mean, well, we have we have a we we do have a, I mean, we have a residency right, right. now. Um, how did the res- how did the residency? It's at Knitting Factory. Yeah. Right. How did that come about? Um, well, I got in touch with them. Last year, because we were we doing warehouse parties, and those became too dangerous, too illegal, too and too big, and we didn't want to have the responsibility anymore, so we want to contact clubs to play in clubs. And after, you know, talking a little bit to the, to the name factory, they finally booked us, and the bartender and intern, who was Richard, um, figured out that we didn't have a manager, and he always wanted to be a manager, and he's really talented as a manager. Wait, so... What, so, I'm talking like, about... No, I'm, no, I get it. So, Richard was a bartender yeah. at... Knitting Factory. And, and, and the book... Yeah. He did booking. And he did yeah, booking. And then he oh. got us the residency. And he's still working over there? Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. still works there, too. So, pretty good, Pretty right? good. Yeah, it's pretty great. Good. It's, Extra it's, drink uh, tickets, right? Huh? Extra drink tickets. Well, we got a bottle of Jameson in the in the green room. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> we're, 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 right. same writer. Exactly. Yeah. same writer. Well, um, Let's so, play that song. Wait a second, how does the fee get negotiated? Does he just kind of like look in a mirror and be like, I don't know, man, it seems a little high. It's like, well, you know, they're a good band, they've been working hard. No? No, well, no he's, not, <laughs> he's not the manager at the Name Factory, so he has to negotiate with the manager at the Name Factory. Got it. Yeah. Okay. All right, yeah, let's rip another tune. I think we can actually say rip another tune for this band. Song from Miguel? Yeah, that's why I've been saying it. Yeah. Let's do it. This next one is called uh, Song from Miguel. Miguel's a guy, a uh, really awesome man, who gave us our saxophones, actually. He gave them to you? Yeah, all of them. So he's what? a man. Yeah, and they're like the best sax ones you can get. Yeah. So this thank you, Miguel. <laughs> Always. Yeah.
Barn burner. Are you getting pissed off over there? I think they're getting a little. I think it's a little loud. It's uh, fine. I, I I think we'll maybe just keep it at those two songs, and we'll just kind of take it out. Cool. Uh, uh, wait, can you go back to that story about getting the saxophones? Yeah. Um, when I was living in Portugal. In By the way, that sounded awesome. Yeah, it sounded really good. I just want to say that even though they went around and asked, everyone was like, "No, we're totally cool with the music." Really? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you're in. I was living in Portugal in 2000, 2007, and I literally received a phone call from somebody I didn't know, and he asked me, "Give me your address," and I said, "Why?" And he's like, "I'm in a divine mission, and you're the chosen." And like, wow. I gave him my address, and a week this later, true. this fucking crazy saxophone arrived. It's a con that's 60 years old. It's like a really rare saxophone yeah. that all the like famous saxophone players played on, and. Then I came to New York and I actually got to meet the guy that gave me the saxophone. Mm-hmm. Wait, how did he hear about you though? Um, I played a jazz festival in Portugal and a friend of his saw me and told him about me. And, and then I got to meet Miguel finally in, in, Portu- in, in New York and he's like a really cool guy. He's a saxophone player himself who got a lot of money by doing a translation company and he's the most generous, amazing guy. And... I just mentioned, like, I, did, I just asked him, like, what kind of brand of baritone saxon should I get? I'm, like, thinking about buying a, a cheap one. And he's like, oh, you want a berry? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I have a Mark VI. Those are 12 grand. They cost 12 grand. This is this one right here. It's like the best one. He's like, yeah, yeah I, I have it in Valencia right now. I got it, it to you by the end of the month. And he did. And then we played a party at his house, and, and he took... Well, Mike, do you want to tell that story? Yeah, so we were playing. So we played a party at Miguel's house on his roof, and um, you know, just having a good time. And then after we played, he's like, "Hey, Mike, I just bought a Sunny Stitz horn off eBay." Sunny uh, Stitz is a really famous saxophone player. Yeah, uh, like from way back. He's like, "You want to check it out?" I said, "Yeah, obviously." So I go down, and uh, he's like, "Why don't you play it? If you fall in love with it, you can have it." It's like, "Oh my god, okay." <laughs> so, <laughs> Who is this guy? Jesus, a, very, <laughs> a good, good man. man. This is a saxophone, Jesus. But um, yeah. So so we went to his room and like a bunch of people came and I played it and I loved it. You know, it was just like the best one I ever played and uh, gave it to me that night. It was a trip. It was pretty weird. Yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> the look on your face was. Mike started crying. I think yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I cried a little bit. Yeah, I would. I would cry. I would too. cry too. I would cry too. That's amazing. And it also, you know, shaped two thirds of the band. Yeah. And the sound like. It's all. Yeah, it's all. I mean, vintage, is it, is it, vintage saxophones that yeah. we could never afford. <laughs> Nine ones from 1941. Yeah. And it's all coming from these two. Like you couldn't recreate this with cheaper horns. No, you no. could, but, uh, but but not but, the same quality. I mean, you can't. I mean, you, you can't can, yeah. replace a Mark Six, you know. You can't replace a Con. Yeah, all. It's amazing. So, um, you know, uh, why don't you guys tell us about? You know, you have a show coming up in April, right? Yeah, April thirteenth. Yeah, April thirteenth. Knitting Factory. Yeah. Is it just you guys, or is anybody else playing? Um, it's just us, and mm-hmm. it starts at twelve a.m. So, oh, midnight. Yeah, midnight. Oh, amazing. Uh, and then. Uh, so wait, is that the Thursday night or the Friday night? Yeah, that's the confusion. Friday it's Friday night. Okay, yeah, you Friday can night. you can buy tickets online at uh, Ticketfly. I, I usually just try and tell people it starts at eleven fifty nine on Friday night. Yeah, I know eleven fifty nine. Yeah, then, yeah. yeah. It always gets confusing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. eleven fifty nine. And then they don't Friday miss eleven fifty nine. Fifty nine seconds. You know, yeah, fifty nine second seconds exactly. Yeah. Uh, we t- we take the stage, and then um, <laughs> you guys have one record out already. Yeah. And where can yeah. you get that? Yeah. You can get it on Bandcamp. Yeah. 
um, on iTunes. You can get it on Amazon. Amazon. Any, anything that you can buy CDs on. Spotify. Um, anything really. Amazing. And then you said you have another record coming out. Well, it's not coming out. It's uh. just being produced right now by us. Yeah, created. We, yeah. We have about probably 23, 24 Yeah, we have songs. another 12 songs. Amazing. But, but we want, what we want to do for our next album... We, this album is totally acoustic everything and for the next album we want to we want to elaborate on the sound a little bit you know like we're going to inc- start incorporating electronic effects in yeah or, or we've been also going to junkyards collecting metal and you know we're planning on building percussion racks and I don't know we maybe even incorporate like some rhythmic samples of a train of a subway train going through the tunnel in Bedford you know cut it it up make a drum set out of it just like we want to experiment a lot with it and surprise our fans with our next album bigger band um yeah well we're expanding the band we're gonna gonna have some guests we're gonna have a rapper we're gonna have a singer that we're actually working with right now already and we're also gonna invite five saxophone players for one song or two amazing yeah um, alright so why don't you give the nuts and bolts of where to find you guys uh, online twitter email bookings all that stuff yeah, um, you can you can see us online. Uh, just you know, um, Facebook Moon Hooch or Twitter Moon Hooch, Moonhooch dot com or uh, Moonhooch dot Bandcamp dot com. Just Google us. We're on YouTube. Um, awesome. Yeah, it's going to be uh, awesome. So I think we're gonna have to call it today. Yeah. The uh, I, this is the first time that's actually two of the owners are sitting out there oh, of nice. all the times that have come to we, play. We, we'll do one more. Is Roberto out there? We're good on one more, guys. Oh, we are good on one more? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so, uh, anyway, okay. Great. All right, so on the show. So thank you to uh, everybody who was on the show today. Thank you for the fried chicken sandwiches from uh, Smith Canteen, Searsucker. Uh, are you going to be here next week? No, I'll actually be gone for the next few weeks. Uh, next week, Jack, you'll be happy about this. It's a DJ set. Uh, Lemonade. Um, our good friends Lemonade are going to come back. They're going to play a DJ set, talk about the new record they have coming out in May. And then, uh, yeah, we'll be back with uh, some more episodes of Snacking Tunes. And I'll be back in a few weeks. See you. Okay. Well, right. okay. You're going to be okay? I guess. I'll hug you after this. All right. Okay. I didn't know you were going to be missing so many weeks. Surprise. Awesome. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Well, right. I'll, and, uh, I'll be here. For well, this for this next one, we're going to... What is that? Wenzel's sticking a cardboard tube in his saxophone, in the bell of his saxophone, to um, to lower the pitch. The horn. Yeah, it so makes, it makes the lowest note a minus six lower. And we're gonna try and emulate some dubstep. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Here we go. So sorry, <laughs> sorry, owners of. No, no, no. no it's fine. Moon. Fine. Ho- hey, they gave us the sign off. Moon Hooch on uh, Snacky Tunes. Uh, I'll see you next week. Greg will not. Have fun at Coachella. I'll try. Okay. Bye.
program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.